While decision-makers at large U.S. pension funds, endowments, foundations, and insurance companies all agree that building out diverse investment teams is a top priority, a new survey commissioned by Morgan Stanley shows more than half still think doing so will hurt their financial returns, despite data that shows otherwise. Welcome to Access and Opportunity. I'm your host, Carla Harris, and we're telling the stories of individuals working to drive change within their communities. We want to provide our listeners with context about social inequities and share tangible examples of how ideas around access and opportunity are being made real every day. On this special episode, I'd like to introduce you to William Hurd, CEO of Hurd Capital, an investment firm managing more than $650 million in assets. William is one of a very small pool of hedge fund managers of color, despite nearly 90% of asset owners saying team diversity is a top priority. William is working to make that a reality so that money managers with less traditional pedigrees, like himself, can enter the space. William, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. So are you ready? Can we jump right in? I'm ready. And thanks for having me. So, William, where did you grow up? How did you think about that time and your outlook on life? And did you ever think finance would be a part of it? I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, oldest of three boys. I didn't think that finance would be something that I'd be interested in. But once I figured it out, like it certainly became something that quickly became all I was interested in. Okay. So I think because of the lack of opportunity, ultimately became like a means to provide, protect. So growing up in Milwaukee, one of three boys, that influenced you in a way where you said, I want to go for more. I, let me try to get to the top of it, whatever it happens to be. And how did you stumble upon finance and say, that's going to be my it? It really came down to a bar mitzvah with a friend, his grandfather explaining this stock certificate was a piece of ownership. And I was like, ownership in what? And when he sort of broke it down for me, and then he went through what skills are necessary to do that. And just curiosity led to more questions and that led to a collection of experiences and internships that ultimately got me Wall Street. Okay. Okay. So Marquette, you decided to study finance there. Why Marquette? It was close to home. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the answer. Being the oldest of three boys, like I said, I think ultimately, like, a lot of decisions I made in life are based around, like, providing and making sure, like, my family and those I care about are okay. But it came down to that and trying to figure out if I was going to run track or not, and this is where I ended up. Let's talk a little bit about how that led to a bigger plan, because I understand that you helped to build the Applied Investment Management Program at Marquette. Now, how does one do that as an undergraduate, just having been introduced to finance just a few short years before that? I think like what I was struggling with was the cost of Marquette and the fact that all the internships were given away to Madison students. In the context of like really trying to figure out how finance made sense, led me to like ask questions and come up with a plan. And that plan led to a bigger plan at Marquette. William knew that in order to be taken seriously by potential employers in the investment industry, he needed hands-on experience. So William decided to create an applied investment management program at Marquette. That program went on to become the first ever undergraduate program officially recognized by the CFA, or the Chartered Financial Analyst Association. A big part of it was preparing, quantifying, and ultimately like getting people to see that this is going to be a problem <laughs> if uh, we don't do something about it now. So once I put yeah. all that together, it really came a business plan and then ultimately led to a series of conversations. And, and now it's endowed, CFA-blessed. 300 plus students over the last, I think, 15 years have gone through it. 
proud of that. I mean, it was never about me. It was just like, I can't afford to take these classes over. I need right. an applied experience. <laughs> and the only way that I have an advantage is to have experience before I come out and hit a trading desk. That is phenomenal. That's a playbook point. Let me stop here for a minute, William, because you obviously had an objective. You had a goal. You wanted to heighten the probability that you would get a job as you graduated. And so with that singular focus, as you said, preparation, understanding what it might take, that was your preparation. And then quantifying it because you know, obviously, what these jobs were paying and you had the statistics on how many of the University of Wisconsin at Madison students were getting jobs versus how many people at Marquette was getting jobs. And you obviously also knew about the connective tissue. If your graduates graduate with great jobs, making a lot of money, they become very <laughs> interested and enthusiastic alumni. Right. Was that the connection? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that was the point. You want, you know, this to be self-sustaining and create a pipeline. Outstanding. So let's talk a little bit about how you set in the motion of starting your own hedge fund. I got the opportunity to start at a large hedge fund, like straight out of college. Mm-hmm. And thinking about life at that point in time, great financial crisis had occurred and I knew I didn't want to switch careers. And to be honest, I didn't want to wonder what if, if I didn't take this shot, I didn't want to be sort of like mid fifties saying shoulda, woulda, coulda. And thinking about that, you know, again, like it went back to preparation and the plan and really trying to figure out what's the business case for me doing this today. And then how do I scale it? Once I wrote it down and quantified, it was really about execution. I was 27, 28 years old. Markets are what I loved. And It was a complicated time for everyone. So I felt if I failed, ultimately I could go back to business school or something. But Mm -hmm. again, like just that risk reward and sort of that margin of safety, I felt like my downside was like so limited that if I could just get, you know, the 10 million bucks together, that was my milestone and my catalyst for ultimately like pivoting to doing it full time. Already for established fund managers coming out of the Great Recession, this was an incredibly difficult time to secure capital as the bottom fell out of the industry. But add to this that William was a young black man with no proven track record trying to start his own hedge fund in the aftermath of a global crisis. It could not have been a more challenging time for him to enter. What barriers to entry do you still see out there that exist for diverse managers like you? You know, it's come from Milwaukee, didn't have the wealthy friends or the trust fund. I love my Mm -hmm. parents to death. I just wasn't born into that. And that's okay. I think the pedigree was something that also I didn't possess. Pedigree is the thing that sometimes will drive an allocator's decision, not all allocators, but it's always perplexing because they don't think about the series of things the individual had to solve for to get to that point. I would argue certainly having to prove yourself constantly and start from scratch might be a little harder. And you might <laughs> you think? A- approach it differently, <laughs> but, you know, numbers don't lie. And at the end of the day, that's always what we've led with. And what I encourage people to do is surround themselves with like mentors, people that can provide very short feedback loops, care about you, but also like will be direct. Straight, no chaser. Yes, exactly. And I've been very mm-hmm. fortunate to have folks be that for me. I have a board of advisors, which people are like, why do you have that? And it's because I know that I don't know everything and I cannot make up for that time lost. And I don't have mm-hmm. the pedigree. So why not surround myself with people that have seen more, done more? done at a level that can't be questioned. So mm-hmm. I think like some of those barriers like still exist. And other big one I think that's becoming more common is the GP commit. It's not so much that we don't want to eat our own cooking. It's that for so long we have. <laughs> so. Yes, yes. And, and let me just break that down for our listeners. What William is talking about when he talks about the GP commit is that many asset allocators, large institutional investors that might invest in your fund is now they're now looking to see how much money you have committed to the business. You know, how much money you've invested to build, as he said, to build the business, um, then maybe to even see the portfolio. And then, you know, they want to see some minimal level. And so that obviously becomes a huge barrier to entry, especially for portfolio 
managers of color. Because as William just said, if you didn't come from pretty wealthy family and friends, it was tough to get that first million or two dollars just to invest, right. let alone to get another million or two dollars to build the business. Let me ask you this question, because you've said a few times in the past that diversity in investment management is beneficial to investors. Tell our listeners how. The data is out there that just shows like this is math. Diverse investment management firms produce more alpha. You know, earlier this year, academic study found that hedge funds with diverse management teams outperform in a range from 3.6% to 6.2% per year with less risk. On a risk-adjusted basis, they found their outperformance to be between 5 and 8% per year. So that's just the math. The numbers don't lie. Right. So I, I feel we don't have to study it anymore. We have to do something about it. Okay. So let's put you in the seat of advisor and counselor. So let's say you're trying to advise some of the larger asset management firms in the world on how they can become more diverse. We've done a couple of white papers on that, William. But what would you tell them about what are some easy steps they could take to welcome more diverse portfolio managers within their organizations? I think at the end of the day, like a lot of our partners realize this. Any emerging asset manager firm is a small business and it's about the return on time and you know, working capital. That is not infinite. And I think understanding how decisions are made is important. And just that realization that we are a small business. We can handle no. We've heard no. But just tell us no so that we can move on, come back once we've done A, B, C, D, E, F, Gs. But I think having some sense of visibility or what we call like a checklist to close is important. Just having a better sense for how decisions have been made in the past what other managers they might have invested in that sort of were at a similar size. And then the flexibility around GP commit we talked about as well, thinking through where the gaps exist, how do I align the interest has been something that we thought about like way back then when we launched. Right now, public pensions have seen the biggest shift in their positive outlook towards diversity, with 63% agreeing that multicultural investment teams significantly improve investment performance. That's an outlier considering only 6% of university endowments, 20% of insurance companies, and 14% of other asset owners feel the same. So let's talk a little bit about giving back because William Hurd is a generous philanthropic giver. And why is it important to you to give back and get involved with supporting your community and the underrepresented in Chicago? So I think like Chicago, I'm walking. At the end of the day, like I know that there are, I'm 100% sure that there are kids that grew up in tough neighborhoods that would be very, very good at this job. And I think like all the skills that the daily survival, the thousands of decisions they have to make from point A to point B would make them good at this job. And I think it's about Mm -hmm. showing them that like it's possible. And also like just providing like a safe space. Sometimes the the library is just as hot as the block. I'm here Saturday and Sunday most of the time. So it's nothing for me to let young folks come print stuff, hang out. But just knowing that they can be, they can just get out of it for four or five Mm -hmm. hours on the weekend. I think that's also Mm -hmm. important to me. And all the other stuff is just really about making sure young people have the confidence and the capital to take the ACT or SAT multiple times and Mm -hmm. things that I just didn't think about. Again, you bring up another good playbook point. Because of your lived experience, you have an opportunity to see different qualities in human capital than somebody who might have been interviewing people for 10 years. And I just want to break it down a little bit. I'll say it so you won't have to. But when you said there are a lot of kids in the neighborhood that that I know could do this job because they just had to, they just had to to survive. So let me give three or four bullet points. When I think about the things that you need to be a good banker or to be a good investor, you do need to have that sensibility to be able to read people, to read beyond the numbers, to understand the situation, you know, to think logically 
and consequentially and be able to sell your thoughts and your ideas. And when you're in a tough environment, when somebody steps to you, you better have a story, a narrative, something true or false, but it needs to be a narrative. (laughs) So so is that an amen, brother? Can I I leave it there? That is amen. That is amen. (laughs) Okay. So what's next for her capital? You know, I can say for sure, like, I believe the best is ahead. I think it's about performing, thinking strategically about partnerships. It's about giving back as well. So that's what I'm thinking about. uh, That's sort of the future. Okay. All righty. Well, we have a tradition on access and opportunity, and it's called a lightning round. And it's a fun way for our listeners to get to know you as an individual. So I'll just ask you a series of rapid fire questions and you answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. City or countryside? City. Winter or summer? Summer. What is a book you've read recently that you would recommend? I recommend this book for everyone. It's called Mastery by Robert Greene and Counterintuition by uh, Michael Mabosin are the two that I think every person should read. Okay. Thank you very much for that suggestion. I'll be doing that. Do you have a hidden talent? I think it's a talent, but I write down everything. It goes back to preparation. Okay. Like I don't have yeah. like electronic filing system. I have boxes of paper yes. that I just throw notes in. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> My environmental friends are coming for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in office or working from home? Probably office. Okay. Binge watch a TV show or watch a movie? Read a book. What's your personal mantra? Know thyself. Yeah. You've given me a few of them, I was going to say. And one word to describe your legacy. Deliberate. Mm-hmm. I would agree. William Hurd, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and to share with our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. William Hurd is truly paving the way for future investors and hedge fund managers of color. And a big congratulations to him and his team at Hurd Capital for being named Hedge Fund of the Year by Chief Investment Officer Magazine. Their success goes a long way in paving the road for more diverse faces to enter this arena. They're showing through action and results the value that multicultural teams bring to the table. And the impact of this goes well beyond investment teams. As more multicultural and women money managers are welcome into funds, we're going to see more capital deployed to founders that have long been overlooked. What did you learn today from William Hurd? Send us your thoughts at carlapod at morganstanley.com. We would love to hear from you. Subscribe to Access and Opportunity on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for coming along.